coffee. What is it about coffee that makes it so damn good? Maybe it's the smell of coffee brewing that brings back that new to recovery feeling that we got when we first stepped into a meeting. Maybe it's the idea of holding on to one of the only things that still works for kickstarting our day. Maybe it's the way it brings us together, another one of the many things we have in common. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwash Coffee the perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwash Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all coffee proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwash Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is the higher powder. It's dark, smoky, and rich, and gives me just enough kick to really get into my day. Right now, you can go to brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Clean your bean with Brainwash. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. This is the Other Side of Hell podcast. Are we doing that anymore? What? Say, introducing the show? Yeah. Everybody knows that this is the show. Yeah, but... Welcome, Cameron. What if they don't know? (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the Other Side of Hell podcast. What if they think they stumbled onto, like, uh, I don't know, Joe Rogan experience? Well, they would know very quickly that this is not the Joe Rogan experience. Welcome but. to the not Joe Rogan experience <laughs> show. And welcome, Cameron. It Thanks. is good to see you. It's good and to see you, It's too, good to man. be in the studio. We got some stuff to talk about today, man. I think like, we're going to get real. Yeah. Real. It, it's, it's, been a, it's been an interesting week. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to talk about that, and I'd like to, you know... You guys want to? You're going to want to stick around for the war story today. We got Scott, and <clears throat> listening to Scott's story really brought up the the topic that we want to discuss today uh-huh. of self love. Yeah, Scott actually, you know, he talked about that was one of the first things that he learned when he went through recovery was yeah. how to sort of love himself. Yeah, and uh, and it really sparked with me. It, it spoke to me, you know, like I I have a hard time with self love. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I have this understanding that it's really easy to love myself when I know, like, I'm, I'm doing really well with everything. Like, I'm on point with my diet, with my fitness routine, with my relationships, with my program, like, with, you know, work, with, with extracurricular activities. When all that stuff is on point, it's really easy to like me. Yeah. But when it's not, how do I love myself in those moments, yeah. you know? And so I think like when I have like a week like I had, when I had a week like you had, how do I love myself through those moments? And I think that that's worth exploring. And that was one thing I really liked about Scott's story was, you know, he, he seems to love himself, um, you know, no matter what. Yeah, right now, for sure. Like, especially where he's at in life right now, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily an addiction, which I can really relate to that. You know, I mean, we've we've said it before. You know, jamming jamming a bottle of booze down your throat, a needle in your arm, and and popping a bunch of pills is not a great demonstration of self love. 
No. <laughs> it's just not. No, 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 definitely not. I mean, it's it's funny because as you say that, like I think about those moments um, when when it did feel like that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, you understand what I mean? Like, like I would take the time and 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 the energy and the money and go spend it on you know a bunch of pills because I deserve that time. Yeah. You know, I thought that that was like a way of of me. I thought you know that it was a way of 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 showing myself self love. Yeah. You know, like obviously it it took a turn for the worse and and it got to a point where i wanted to not do that and i would still find myself taking that action yeah um whether it be drinking or or buying pills or you know the many many things that uh, that contributed to to my um addiction but but so i think it's interesting that you say it that way you know i i self-love looks a lot different now than it did back then for yeah sure yeah and it and it's and it's progressive right like learning <clears throat> learning different self-destructive behaviors that are underlying right like we've talked about underlying issues and and it's not always clear that what we're doing is self-harm you know sometimes it takes some investigation and it <clears throat> and it takes some some standing back and like looking at how we're treating ourselves how we're talking to ourselves and what actions that we have in our lives that demonstrate either self-love or self-hate because that self-hate is really deep in, in addicts and alcoholics. You know, I know that it certainly is in me. And, and we've talked several times about where it comes from. But but in order to, to really dive into what self-love is, like, like how do we identify that we have that self-hate? Like, what are some of the things that, that you remember from early sobriety that, that you're like, this is not love? Like, mm-hmm. you know, as you started on the path of of self-discovery and self-love and, and healing and all the things that we do on this side of the table now. Yeah. You know, what, what were well, some of the signs? I mean, I think just, you know, overall, just <clears throat> my, my general recklessness, you know, like yeah. I, I just didn't, I didn't care. You know, I, I didn't care if I lived or died. Like I, I remember one incident specifically when I was trying to, um, you know, quit by myself. Um, I took a handful of Benadryl, you know, and I remember like, I remember looking at, I mean, and, and I'm talking like literally like probably 20 or 30 Benadryl. And I remember looking at it in my hand and saying to myself, like, I don't know if this will kill me, but I also don't care if it does. Yeah. You know? And I think just that act alone, you know, is like a demonstration of just how low my self-worth was. Yeah. Like, there was nothing that there was no amount of self-esteem that I had that was going to get me through that moment. Like. I, I, I cared nothing about any of that stuff. And, you know, and I, and I would see that self-hate see through every time that I would, you know, encounter anybody in my life, family members specifically, who would sort of remind me of how I used to be and how different I seem now. And mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, like they would ask me, like, what's going on with you? Like, well, is everything okay? And like, in those moments, it was very clear to me. It was like, no, like everything's not okay. Like I absolutely hate myself and and most of this time you know i kept inside i wouldn't share that because sharing it would mean that you know they may want me to take action on it yeah and and i wasn't ready to do that scary obviously. yeah it's too scared um but but you know like so having those moments where i i was able to see just how bad things were mm-hmm. you know and and just feeling overall just so helpless just really, really, you know, 
amplified that negative self-worth. Yeah. And there was nothing I was doing in those moments that that would that that would was anything that would resemble self-love. Yeah. You know. What about you? Well, you know, as you were talking like for for whatever reason I I haven't really spoke a ton about my suicide attempt um because I I only had ever had one. Um and it was really sporadic, yeah. you know, but there was so much emotional drama and so much emotional pain in one of my, you know, in my ex relationship that I, you know, I got to a point where I didn't know how to get out of it. Right. I was so addicted to the relationship and I was so addicted to the pills and I was so addicted to the chaos that I couldn't see myself doing anything else. And I couldn't see myself doing that either. And so mm-hmm. we got into a fight like we always do, like it would cycle you know, we would fight, separate, make up, fight, separate, make up over and over and over again for the course of our relationship. And so this particular day, like I just, I, I, I finally cracked, you know, like, like the abuse on her end, the hatred on my end, the, the negative self-talk, you know, on both of our sides, you know, it was just a, a really ugly relationship except for when we were making up, you know. And, and so there was always a plethora of, um, psych meds in the house, you know, because we were both going to doctors for different shit and you're talking like benzos, antidepressants, uh, yeah, antidepressants, you know, sleep aids, Mm, um, mood stabilizers, the, the, the gamut of of, of medications, a little pharmacy over there. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and we only we we would only abuse the the ones that got you high. So we were getting pain medication from doctors as well, but those ones would go really quick. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and so on on this particular day, I like just had enough, and we were fighting. And I was like, you know what, fuck this, and real and and in a in a moment of uh, passion and rage, I just started. I don't even know what I took. I just started taking pills from mm. bottles, emptying bottles into my body. And I left, and um, I don't remember a whole lot. She ended up calling the cops, and I vaguely remember getting stopped by an ambulance and, and getting helped onto the ambulance. And then the next day, I woke up in the hospital. And when I do share about this, you know, the thing that I remember about waking up was, you know, I woke up really confused in the hospital. They had pumped my stomach, and I don't remember any of that. I had a really sore throat and, and I started shitting black, you know, because they, they will pump your stomach with charcoal to, oh, to sure. get that out of you. Yeah. And I started asking questions. And, and, and in that moment, I was like, you know what? I, I'm done with this relationship. And then she showed up and crawled into my hospital bed with me and we fucking made up and, and the chaos continued. Wow. And so, um, I never took a whole lot of stock in that suicide attempt for what it was. It was, it was a call for help, but it was also a call for the end, right? Because, um, I didn't feel love from an outside source. I was completely incapable of feeling love from an internal source because I didn't have one, right? My actions didn't match up with what I considered self-love should be. I didn't look the way I thought I should look. I didn't act the way I thought I should act. I had somebody, you know, um, solidifying my, my low self-esteem with comments like, you know, you're not a man, you'll never be his father. You know, 
these type of things in, in, in moments of rage and anger. And that's what a dysfunctional relationship looks like with another person. And what I did to myself is what a dysfunctional relationship looks like with yourself. Right. Okay. And so that was something that really happened in my life. And so after I finally got out of that relationship, this last go around, at some point while I was in jail this last time, you know, I mean, this was that, that experience was probably two and a half years before I finally got sober. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask. Um, and, and, um, while I was in jail, for whatever reason, there was an internal spark mm-hmm. that said, there's, there's gotta be more, Yeah, you know? And for those of us that have had that internal spark, you know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where, you know, you get a moment of clarity where it feels like all of a sudden, like maybe I could matter. Maybe I could matter. Maybe there's something more to my life. Maybe I'm worth more than what I've been given myself. And that's where the journey for me began. You know, it's I'm fucking broken and I need help. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I loved hearing that. And, and one of the things that, that I took from what you just said is, is that voice within, right? Like, yeah. It's, it's funny because I I feel like I know in my case Scott said it too. You're saying it now that in in all these moments where we're doing awful, right? Like we're in the throes of our disease. You know, there's almost every single action that we take is a negative action. It is is causing self harm. Is digging the hole deeper. It would seem like there is always this this peace, this one little thing within us that, that wants to do better. You know, like, like you just said, I know I had it. And Scott said, you know, he always had a piece of himself that wanted to be clean, that wanted to do better. And I think that really what we get to do is amplify that part of ourselves that, that can feel that self-love that wants to take that appropriate action. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think that that's one thing that we get to do in recovery. And, and that's one of the things Scott talked about was that was one of the first things that he did in recovery was learn how to amplify that voice that wants to do better, like, and take the appropriate action and do the next right thing, you know? And so I totally, I, I loved hearing that, you know, no matter how bad it got or you had that moment of clarity, yeah. Because I think that it's sort of within us all. And I know I had it too. Like one thing that I, I think about when I, when I hear you tell your story is, you know, in between rehab stints for me, like the, the time that I went um, before the last time I went through, which was the time that stuck and hopefully, you know, will continue to stick. Um, but, you know, I, I was just in this bad way where I, I had just gotten you know, a ton of pills and all the appropriate alcohol, all the stuff that normally worked, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And I and I and I took it all and none of it worked. It was all pointless. And I just sat there, you know, looking at it and and just looking at my situation and and I had that moment of clarity, you know, like I I saw the situation for what it was. I knew that it wasn't working. There was no joy anymore in any of the using because I think that's what happens once we 
once we, you know, dip a toe in, in, in the process and dip a toe into recovery is, is it takes all the joy out of it. And you'll hear it in AA all the time. Like we have ruined drinking for you. Yeah. And it's absolutely true, you know? Um, but I, I, I was having that moment and really just deciding, like I, I contemplating, like I either got to do harder drugs or I got to fucking get better. Yeah. Like here it is. Here's the moment. Like, what do I do? Like, do I pick up the phone and figure out how to get heroin or do I pick up the phone and figure out how to get help? Ooh. You know? Ooh. And, uh, and, and lucky for me, like I was able to, to listen to that part of myself that wanted to get better, you know? But is that, is that the time that you held a gun to your head? Was no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. The, the, okay. The time with the gun to my head was before I went into treatment the first time. Okay. This was after I went through and relapsed and, and was really, really struggling to, to do anything. Right. You know, I was, I was st- struggling to stay clean. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I mean, we talk, we talk about self-love because I think it's such an important part of my program today. Mm-hmm. I want to fast forward because obviously like when, when we were using and drinking, like, I feel like it's pretty obvious that we were not living no. a, a life full of self-love, you know, like what, what does self-love look like for you today? Oh man. Self-love is, it's such a huge part of my life today, you know, and self-love really begins and ends with action for me. You know, I, I have to apply action to what that is. I have to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it really came for me in a moment and, and you've heard the story about the mirror, right? Like I've told right. the story about the mirror and, you know, I'll try to tell it real briefly, but basically I was sober, you know, I, I was doing work, but I was how eating. Much, how much sobriety did you have at that point? Uh, I, Isaac, Isaac was one. So I was like two and a half years. I was going to say that's, you know, that's a decent time. I had worked steps because I just, uh, I just burnt my fourth step. You know, I, I did a right. fourth, I'd been through all the steps with the sponsor and, and I decided to burn my four step. But through that process, I ended up standing naked in front of a mirror, right? Like I, I did all this ritual of burning my fourth step. And for people that are in the rooms, you know, the four step is, is a really powerful or the people that aren't in the rooms, the four step is a really powerful inventory step in 12 mm-hmm. step recovery. You know, it's taking inventory uh, how, what is the fourth step? Took an honest and Took fearless, an fearless, honest, honest and fearless inventory. We, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what the fourth step is. It's fine. Maybe uh, Jordan can look it up for uh, us and get an fearless official. and thorough inventory. Thank you. <laughs> but of ourselves, of ourselves, and and you know, I I did that with a sponsor. And I did my fifth step and we're, we're working through the steps and I was far past that, but I, you know, it's really common for people to ritualistically burn their step and put it behind them, you know, right. we're ritualistic people. It makes sense. And so I did that. And, and so I, I ended up standing naked in front of this mirror. Right. And I, I put on a, a lot of weight from compulsively overeating. You know, I was eating like I was using drugs, which is also not a great demonstration of love, you yeah. know? And, mm-hmm. And so I got, I got naked for the first time, I think ever and stood in front of myself naked. And I was like, I got to say, I love you, you know? And, and, and 
So I stood naked in front of this mirror and I went to say, you know, my intention was to say, Willie, I love you. Right. And so I got naked. I stood in front of this mirror. I looked at myself and I said, Willie, I fucking hate you. And I started bawling and I realized that the self hate and the self, the, 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 the pain that I had of self was, was far greater than what I could have ever imagined. It went deeper than I could have ever imagined. And that's where the action began, mm. right? That's where the real action and the real mission to get to love myself began. And I started really seeking out what does it mean to demonstrate self-love? What are the actions that I could take that could demonstrate a man that loves himself, right? So that I could teach that to my children, so that I could teach that to the people around me, so that when... You come around me. This is a guy that completely respects himself. This is a guy that has a plan for himself. This is a guy that's willing to give. Mm -hmm. You know, how do I build that person that I respect? And at that moment, I wasn't that person, you know? Yeah. And so a big part of it was taking control of my thoughts around the way I behave, you know? Mm taking taking control of my thoughts and so just putting into patterns how do i think what's my first thought in the morning you know which has historically been fear so like your 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 first step in that process was pretty much just to observe the way that you currently yes. think okay. yes mm -hmm. you know observe yeah take a good what hard I, look yeah what am i doing you know take the inventory a little bit farther mm -hmm. you know what are my actions here and and at that point like anything that i felt i would eat over <laughs> right, right. I would eat over it. Well, and if you if you equate that to drinking, it was like anything I felt, I would eat over it, or I would eat because it was Tuesday, or I would eat because yeah, you know, I was sad, or I would eat because I was happy. It's like there was all like I eat yeah. over everything. Yeah. yeah, and and getting that big just wrecked my self love. I didn't have any, right? You know, and it's been a long journey. You know, I got right. I got nine years now, and finally, finally. I can identify the actions that I put into my life on a daily basis that demonstrate self-love. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. a big one is the way that I eat today. Right. That's a huge demonstration, like having self-respect because, you know, my self-talk is going to reflect my action. Okay. A lot of people, we, we get, we get self-talk a little bit mixed up and I think self-talk is a big part of um, self-love, but you know, you mean like affirmations? No, just self-talk in general. Um, inner dialogue. Inner dialogue, yeah. You know, so I I fall off of my program, whatever your program is. For me, it's, you know, we've talked about it so many times. Like, I, I almost feel like it's redundant, but it's the early wake-up time. It's the, the, um, the food on purpose, like eating on purpose. It's the, um, the introspection, the reading in the morning. You know, and then I take it into my, my business, you know, tracking my spending, you know, doing my QuickBooks, uh, budgeting the time, being with my employees, my, my coworkers. And then it's my family, you know, treating my kids a certain way, feeding them a certain way, having them learn a certain way, you know, the, the, all those things that demonstrate self-love. And I'm able to, to take all those things. Now, if I fall off of any of those things, my inner dialogue starts going to shit. Right, right. right. And, and I want to be like, well, I'm not doing that great because my inner di dialogue's telling me I'm a fuck because I ate like shit yesterday. And so, so I ate like shit. And now my inner dialogue is you're a piece of shit. And, 
and you don't deserve love and all the thing, all the negative things that come along with that. But there's some truth to that, right? Well, Beca- because yeah. I could be doing better. Like the day before, I didn't have that negative self-talk because I did all the things on my list that demonstrate self-love. Yeah. And so it's like, <sighs> well, there, yeah, it's, there's, there's, there's truth to it. Absolutely. But it, it's where we let that take us because there's mm. the, the other, the other truth is that you also did all these other things correctly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely like, we're hard on ourselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, fucking like, perfection. We always want to see the bad stuff. <laughs> you know? I could do, do nine out of those 10 things on the checklist and not, the, none of the nine count. Right. You know, and yeah. so I'm, it's definitely a work in progress mm-hmm. because that's not a great demonstration of self-love either. Like beating yourself up over the one mistake that you made throughout the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm classic on that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I really like, I, I, I love that we're talking about beating yourself up because I think that that's a big part of self-love. Like I am so, well, it's the opposite of self-love obviously, but I am so, I'm so good at like beating myself up when I don't do something that I know is an act of self love, mm-hmm. right? Like when I don't, when I don't meditate in the morning or I don't, you know, exercise or, you know, I fall off on any of that stuff. I'm so quick to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. But it's never like, it's never like, Oh, look at what you did do. You know, like yeah. I'm so quick to dismiss the the good and amplify the bad, which I think a lot of people could relate with that. I think a lot of people can relate with that. And, and I want to say, I want to say that that's an alcoholic thinking, but I don't know that it is. I think it's just a human condition, right? Yeah, like, probably. I mean, I think that, you know, like obviously some people are better at it than others as far as curbing that self-talk. And I think that it's a learned practice. It's not something that, yeah, for sure. that we all just know. Yeah. Like coming out of the gate. I mean, maybe like, I dare say that there's people that are brought up in the right environment with healthy, healthy parents who, you know, probably were able to at least instill a really good part of that positive self-love and positive affirmation, you know, um, coming up in their environment. But I think once we get out into the world, like it's so easy, like through the way that we compare ourselves to others, the way that we, you know, do, do all the other negative things that people pleasing and stress and the shame and, and all that stuff that will really ding our, our notion of self love. Mm -hmm. And so like it, it becomes so easy to amplify all the negative things and just disregard any of those positive things. And I think that that's the battle today for sure. Right? Like that's, that's where you and I are at today because for me, like I know what happens in my case is, and, and this to me, feels like an alcoholic thinking is if I <laughs> oh, do tell if I don't do one of those things let's say I have 10 things in the morning that I normally do to show myself self-love and to set myself up for success during the day okay. if I don't do one of those things I'll dwell on it the next day and then I'll stew over it and then I'll stop doing a couple of the other things before I know it I'm not doing anything and then I'm just fucking off to the races, right? Doing like, all the, all the, all the bad things right. because I've told myself that I might as well do all the bad things because I'm not doing the one good thing. Right. And do, do you ever like trick yourself into thinking like, well, well maybe this will help me get back onto 
the good things. You mean like if I go bad enough? Like <laughs> yeah. if, if I if I do bad enough, it's gonna get that'll, so bad that I'll be, be like, the motivator. I'll I'll have to take action. <laughs> I would say that that's not. That's probably not in my case. Like, no, no, but I, but that doesn't mean that I won't tell myself anything I can to justify that negative behavior. Yeah, because I I feel like. You, you know, food right now, food is the worst food. I mean, period, you know, and, and we, we talk about it on here, but it's not, it's not food itself. It's the way I use food or the way that food makes me feel. Yeah, so it's not the cookies ball. It's not right. right? And so, uh, uh, thankfully I, I don't relapse on drugs and alcohol today been a very very long time since i put drugs or alcohol into my body but i have used food very compulsively and i i used food very compulsively this week mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and it and it always started it started last sunday right i, I put myself on a, on a new i was trying a new way of controlling my food intake okay so i'm gonna stop eating at six o'clock is the plan so we get done shooting the podcast at like 5.50. I haul ass to Maverick, <laughs> right? I I buy two protein cookies, which are totally off of my off of my diet plan anyway. Yeah. You know, because one, it has a whole bunch of grains. Two, it's a cookie. And I try to stay away from cookies because cookies will jumpstart an obsession. And for But pe- it's protein. <laughs> so and so that went well. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So got it in before six and then it went so well that the next day I was like, well, that went well. I do it again. Wasn't so bad. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't gain 50 pounds over mm-hmm. that. And so again, it's not, it's not the substance that the pro is the problem. It's the way that that substance, the way that I use any substance. Okay. And so what ends up happening is, is I go, well, now that I've done that, yeah, you know, let's go ahead and have like another protein bar. And and this used to be cake, it used to be ice cream, it used to be pizza, right? And and so it can definitely change on what it is, but the behavior behind it's the same. Right. And then my inner dialogue starts going downhill, right? The affirmations begin to slip and it stops going from you're a positive outcome in this world, you know, you're a great father, you're a hard worker to you can't do anything right epic fail epic fail <laughs> yeah and and then i find myself just irritable discontented uh reserved um separated from disconnected, people disconnected yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and then i i'm not happy right and then i have to take action to get back into that place which is fortunately what i did you know i called you and i'm like fuck cameron mhm where had been my great resolve? Where had been my high I, resolve? I'm fucking, I'm fucked again, emotionally. Yeah. Because of the actions that I have in my life. And so, again, that self-love that I need has to come from action. Mm-hmm. It has to. I have to do all the things that are inside of my checklist, if you will, and then give as much away as I can. Because mm-hmm. when I give it away... That's also a great demonstration of self-love. Yeah. Here's all this thing, these, these things that I have that have been given to me, and I want you to have these things too. Right. You know? Yeah. And well, so. 
I was just going to say, like, I really appreciated that you were able to, to call me. And, and when you did, like, because I, I missed that phone call, right? And so you left me a message. And when I listened to your message, I was just like, oh, God, good, good. He's struggling, too. <laughs> like, and it was That's fucked up. I know. But, <laughs> but it was so comforting to know that I wasn't alone, even though, like, I know, like, even if I had been doing better this week and I got that same message, it's not like I wouldn't identify with you. Right. I, I still know how that feels. Right. I st- it just wouldn't be simultaneous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah, like, I, I mean, I, I, I really appreciated that just because I, uh, I, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't doing so well either, man. Like, and, and it was just, I don't know. It was great. It was great to know. I, I, I always want your success and I always want what's best for you. But what I would love, and I think the thing that I struggle with is loving myself through those moments. Like, because I know that I can, I can look at that and be like, okay, I need to take action. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, obviously I need to just quit living in this self pity. Like whatever's happened has happened. Like today's a new day. Like let's take the appropriate action and get back, get back at it. Right. Right. But I think for me, like, what I want, what I would really love is to love myself in those instances because when when I have those bad moments, I'm not loving myself, you know? Like, one thing that you said in your message is, am I ever going to get this? Right. And I have that same thought. Like, every time that I stumble, every time I hop on the struggle bus... <laughs> I think that same thing. Like, am I ever going to get this? Yeah. Like, is it ever going to fucking just click? Because with alcohol, it just fucking clicked and there was like this plateau. But with food, it hasn't been that way. Yeah. You know, like food has been just so up and down and roller coaster. And so I, I want to learn to love myself and have that same amount of self love that that I have for myself when I'm doing good is when I'm doing bad. Like I want, there's a part of me that wants to be able to just understand, meet myself with compassion and love myself in those moments because that for me is the biggest struggle. Like, and then I have to get over so many other things. Like not only am I not doing all the right things for myself, but emotionally I'm fucking dinging myself left and right because now not only am I you know not hurting or hurting myself physically by you know eating all the wrong foods but I'm also hurting myself emotionally because I'm kicking the shit out of myself Mm -hmm. for it and it's like no dude like why can't I enter into that situation and be like you know what like this is okay you know like this is a part of the process understand that it's a part of the process and just take the next right step, you know? But I think that there's something like, like this innate nature, maybe it's the disease, maybe it's fucking just being human. I don't know. But there's something that, that always wants me to make the absolute worst out of it so that I can justify more negative behavior. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's crazy to me, I think. Well, good news, good news, good news, bad news. You want good news? want some good news let's go with the good news first the good news is i think that you are doing that i think by taking action is exactly what you're demonstrating in that moment of self-love right Mm -hmm. like like feeling you know i i know that like 
you can't feel good doing bad shit. Like it, sure. you just can't. Otherwise, you'll just keep doing bad shit. Like if if I continued to feel good using and drinking, I would have never quit. Yeah, you know, I would have never stopped. And so, like, I think it's the same thing with, um, with with any of those negative behaviors. You know, whether whether it's being on your phone too much or uh, eating too much or being being angry. You know, um, avoiding hard conversations. You know, any of those things that that you know we'll like we'll do too much of that cause discontent in our lives i think is is a call for self-preservation mm. it's that bad feeling that we have that causes the action behind it is the self-love that's coming out in us right and so i think that you're doing a great job of of demonstrating self-love by moving past like okay this action isn't serving me very well and by it not serving me it's obviously not serving brianna because now i'm separated from her disconnected yeah i'm I'm, which is the opposite of what you want which is strong relationships with people Mm -hmm. and and so by recognizing that taking action to step away from that because it is it's like up it's so up and down Mm -hmm. with this stuff you know and then we get into the place where we demand perfection from ourselves until we stop demanding perfection from ourselves. And then we get through a day or two days or three days of, of these really hard things being on point. And we look back and we're like, wow, I'm feeling really good about myself today. Yeah. And, and this is what happens for me is, is I'll get two or three or four really good days behind me and then I'll deserve something. Yeah. <laughs> like yep. all, of a, all of a sudden I deserve to celebrate. I deserve something to hate myself yeah. for. <laughs> what is what is that? And I think that that is the process, right? right? Fortunately for us, like if I would have continued down the food path that I was on, I think it would have killed me. I think it I think it would have gotten to a point where there would be no return. And it was the same th- same way with drugs and alcohol, right? And so where where this where I need to navigate this part of my life is in self-preservation mm. because I do love myself, mm-hmm. right? And so I cannot continue in a negative space and feel good about it. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. But I can end up in a negative space, feel bad about it and then take action and then recognize that as self-love. Yeah. Would yeah. you agree? No, I, I I do totally agree, and I I appreciate you saying it. Like I, I am very much under the mind that you know, like those negative thoughts are a call to action. So I don't I don't want to just look at those actions and be like, I want to love myself when I fucking <laughs> treat myself like shit. Like that's not really what I'm saying. Is like I would just like to love myself despite everything. I think you do, and maybe I do. I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's something you're not telling you me. You know, there's just a, a, a an overall negative sense of self worth. Period. From time to time, you get yeah. imposter syndrome all the time. Like, you have any yeah. of that happening? Uh, all the time, dude. I I love I love the term imposter syndrome, and I love it every time I hear somebody of high <laughs> prestige say that they have imposter syndrome. Yeah. I'm like, no fucking shit. Yeah. Even you, huh? Wow. Because I think it really does affect a lot of us. Sure. There's so many of us. It's, a, it's definitely something that holds us back. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. 
I, every, every time I come to the show, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, fuck, I don't know how to, what am I doing here? Like, I don't I have don't. anything to, nobody cares what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I feel less than, and then we start talking and I realize that what I'm doing here is saving my life. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's, it's planting the seeds for other people to recognize that we're all not that different. Right. Yeah. You know, there's, we're, there's. So many people can relate with how you and I talk and how we feel and 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 opening up and, and doing this stuff is my demonstration of self-love, right? And yeah. self-love is self-worth. And so like the imposter syndrome, man, I get it at work. Like I, I don't know how many projects I've done. You know, I don't know how many remodels I've done and how many good jobs I've done. Mm-hmm. And I'll go to work and I'm like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I forget that I'm a professional. Oh, right. You know? Yeah. And and even saying that word is weird for me. Professional? Yeah. Being, I am a professional. Yeah. This is what I do as a profession. You know, right. I'm, I'm actually really good at it. Yeah. Know? And then, fuck it. No, you're not. <laughs> well, and that, and, and it just reminds me that there is a lot a lot of times where my first thought to something is not, it's, it's just my first thought. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's, that it's what actually is. And we talk about this with other things, right? Like if my first thought when somebody wants me to do something is no, it doesn't mean I'm an asshole. Like every time, every, every single time, almost every single time (laughs) it's getting better, which is, good you know sure. like but if i'm if i you know if i'm at work and somebody introduces me to a work project my first response is usually always oh really like you want me to do what <laughs> you know but then yeah. i breathe through it and i'm like right okay yeah yeah that sounds great yeah great job uh, uh, you know perfect i'll do it you know same same thing with this you know like i show up and it's like my first thought is always I'm an imposter. Like what they're going to see that I'm just a scared little boy inside. Just, yeah. you know, all that regular imposter syndrome. And I can work through that through too. You yeah. Know, and say, yeah, the first thought is not, it doesn't define me. Like it's just my first thought. And usually I can work through it and get into something that's a little bit more valuable, a little bit more productive, a little bit more useful and hopefully, you know, carry some weight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all, all great things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, coming out of the other end of that creates all great things, mm-hmm. all good stuff, you know? And so like, so let me, let me ask you this real quick, Cameron. No, let me ask you this, Cameron. Okay. Go. What are, what are some of the things that you do that for sure demonstrate you have self love? What do you have in your life that you could tell somebody like, if you're doing these things, it's probably a good demonstration of self love. Um, it's funny because when you said that, I think that one of the biggest things that, that I do that I think is, a, an act of self-love is not reacting with emotion. You know, um, there's a lot of physical things that I do, but I feel like the act of not reacting when somebody, when somebody does things to scorn me, when somebody does things that I want to control and they don't do them the way that I want when I'm angry, you know, not reacting with that emotion is, is my biggest demonstration of self-love, 
Um, But I wouldn't have that response to those situations or those encounters if I wasn't doing things like talking to people about how I feel. Right. Being honest with the people in my life around me. um, Exercising. Uh Meditating on a daily basis. um, Going to meetings. um, Meeting with sponsees. Meeting with my sponsor. Helping others. You know, like I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have that that response to those negative things in my life if I didn't do all those other things. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of things that I do that 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 I do to show myself self-love, but I feel like I can see it clearly when I know how the old me would have reacted. I know how the old me would have responded. I know what it looks like when I respond when I'm not taking any action of self-love and I'm not doing that currently. And so, you know, that to me is maybe the biggest indicator that I'm on an okay playing field. I think you're doing great. Thanks, man. (laughs) It's, you know, like we're going to have moments like this, Willie, like we're going to have moments where we're on the struggle bus for a week, Yeah, you know, and I think that that's okay. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that the biggest thing is that we take the appropriate action and get back, get off the struggle bus. And, uh, <laughs> hop on the production bus. Hop on the production yeah, bus. The friendly bus, the happy let's, bus. Let's take the production car. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Yeah. I, I agree with all those things, man. You know, um, you know, and, and, and if, if this stuff is difficult, like some, some of these really simple things, you know, you can, you can chalk these up as self-love you know hygiene mm, yeah hygiene is a great difference it's simple you know i know that when i'm in a i can get really raggedy and it's been a long time since i didn't shower in a day but i can go a long time without a shave or cutting my hair you know and i'll look in the mirror and I'll, all of a sudden i'll be like jesus look look at you yeah that's a good point you know clean yeah. yourself up mm-hmm. yeah have some respect for yourself you know, um, spending time with loved ones, you know, mm-hmm. that's like taking time away from everything else and enjoy letting, letting their love come in, mm. you know, for me, having children, having a wife, you know, letting them love me with all my busyness. Yeah. Right. Dad, dad, this, that, you know, all the podcaster, you know, business owner, all those other things, we can set all those aside and just let my children love me, you know, and, and it'd be in that. That's, a, that's another great one. Um, spending some time in silence. You mentioned meditation, you know, just, just sitting in there and, and how is my thinking today? Mm. You know, wh- what direction is it going? You know, um, listening to your favorite music, something that causes emotion inside of you or, or stirs up you know, some type of feeling that, that can bring back either good or bad memories. Like for me, listening to certain music will remind me of how far I've come. Mm. And then I can measure backwards and I can see that, yes, there's been a lot of demonstrations of self-love that have gotten me to where I'm at, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then reflecting on that. One of, one of the 
best examples of self-love for me is appreciating how far I've come and just being thankful for the opportunity to be here. Great. You know? Yeah. Just, okay. Like, in this moment, I'm good. Taking that moment and being good where you're at, you know? It's it's nice. It's beautiful. It happens from yeah. time to time. Yeah. From it, time to time. It probably ought to happen more often, you know? but... But uh, but I'm with you there, man. So, yeah. I th- I think, man, self love again. What a great topic, man. You know, and and there there's so much that you can touch on, and so many different directions it can go, and so many stories that come along with it. Um, but sure. I do definitely want to talk about the man who gave us the idea for this. You know, Scott. Scott from Choosing Recovery. Yeah, New York State. Yeah. Yeah, Scott and his wife Olivia, they uh, they have really they set up this YouTube channel during COVID mm-hmm. to uh, to to help them be more on point with their program, which is which is wonderful. Yeah, they reach yeah. out to a lot of people. Scott shared his story this time. Next episode, we're going to do Olivia's story, yeah. but but Scott's story was awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, and and like Scott's my boy, man. Like I could relate with a ton of his yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, from getting in trouble. And and the judge knowing you by name and yeah. in and out of jail and and you know skating just like just barely past prison like this is fucking it, yep. you know and, and I could hear my name in his courtroom, you know, mm. Scott, this is your last chance, yeah. You know? This doesn't work, you're done, you're going to prison, you know. For for me, it was the same thing. This is your last chance. You don't get it right this time, you're done. And and there was there was little little bombs like that and and you know little god shots right little god shots. little god shots where you know people people would come into my life and work on me like he was talking about in treatment you know where he discovered the place where he started finding self love for me it was really the same thing you know I could I could identify with that yep. being in treatment and the clinicians working on me. And, and recognizing how damaged I was, you know, and then, I mean, I, I could relate with so much being a big guy, you know, I, I wasn't always nice, but it sounds like he was, yeah, you know, but being big, you know, going from, going from while you're on drugs, being thin to being sober, being fat mm-hmm. while you're on drugs, being thin, you know, and, and bouncing back and forth that way. Like there's just so much in yeah. his story that I could relate with, Yeah, you know, a, a little bit more than a lot of them. Um, I related with Scott's uh, a little bit more on a more personal level because his story really reflects mine. I feel like I mean there's some differences, but I mean yeah. Well, let's get into it. Okay. Without further ado, let's let Scott tell his story. What's going on, everybody? My name is Scott Sample. I am from Watertown, New York, and I am 27 years old, and I am a grateful recovering addict. Uh, I come from a upper middle class family. Uh, I have two older siblings, uh, definitely like about 10, 15 years older than me. Uh, and I grew up in the country, man. So by having two older siblings, I considered myself an only child because I was always by myself. You know, who, who's 15, 16 years old and wants to hang out with their five-year-old brother, so on and so forth, you know? So I was that kid that always uh, would walk around the yard beating trees with sticks. Uh, playing with bugs, getting in the mud, steal my dad's truck every time I could get the keys, <laughs> but that's a whole another story. Um, 
I had to make my own fun, you know? I had to make my own fun. Um, I had to keep myself occupied. Again, I was a kid, I wanted to do things, but, you know, we lived pretty far away from town. But it was okay, because I always had, like, all the cool toys. They had the four-wheelers, they had the dirt bikes, snowmobiles, didn't matter. Um, so I, I definitely, I made way. And my childhood, um, my childhood was really good in that aspect. Um, but I do come from uh, an alcoholic family. My father and my mother were both heavily, heavily, heavily uh, drinkers. They were, um, they were seven days a week, uh, drink as much as they can, you know, type of people. So the way it really affected me was um, just the anger. You know, I would, I would remember running into my sister's bedroom at night because I would hear my parents screaming at each other. And uh, I'm a mama's boy, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, a, I'm definitely a mama's boy. So I constantly worried about my mom. My mom's drinking definitely slowed down over the years. Uh, and I think that has to do a lot with just the way my dad drank, you know. She worked three jobs. Um, my dad had a really good job at National Grid. And, uh, but he didn't really, he paid the bills, you know, but he really didn't do anything to help take care of us. Um, so my mom worked three jobs. She was gone a lot. I would, uh, I, I had to learn how to really just fend for myself for a while. Um, I went through a lot of, a, of a physical abuse growing up too. Um, so there was two sides to that. My dad was either a very happy drunk or a very violent drunk, you know, and there wasn't any other side because he wasn't ever sober. Um, he, I don't think he remembered anything that he did the following day, but, uh, you know, it was hard. It was hard growing up. Um, and it didn't make me tough. Like, you know, you hear that tough love that kids get or the violent that kids get. I was never like that. I was never a mean person. I didn't, I didn't bully people, you know, and I've always been a big guy. I've always, you know, I was a star athlete in school. Um, I've always been a big guy, you know, but I was, I was always probably the nicest guy you'd ever meet. Um, I was scared to fight, you know, I was scared to defend myself. I had to deal with the getting picked on and stuff or being overweight and all that, you know, so it didn't, it didn't make me tough, you know, going through physical abuse. And I hear that a lot with people of them it going the other way, you know, but that just, that's not my story. And I'm okay with that. Um, I've, uh, so I dealt with that for quite a while. The one thing my, my father did, he came to all my sports, which was huge for me. Same with my mother. You know, they came to all my sports. They always stuck up for me in there, you know. And my dad wasn't a bad guy, you know. He didn't hurt me so bad to where, like, I was in a hospital or something like that. He, you know, but it was just... It was a lot of unnecessary stuff that a kid shouldn't have to go through. Um, but other than that, you know, I had a really good childhood. Uh, and I think it's just the route that I took on my own to, to get myself there. And going up through high school, you know, like, I didn't, st I started smoking cigarettes when I was 14. You know, I had, uh, I had this kid move up around my house, you know, that was a really bad influence on me. Um, and I was a follower. I always wanted to be accepted because I didn't grow up with anyone around me. I didn't grow up with friends. 
you know so as soon as i started getting into school and things like that and hanging out with kids and all of that i wanted to fit in you know i didn't want to ever feel like that loneliness again because i went so long without that so when i finally got a piece of it it's like this is like this is what i want in my life you know i and i made it so where like i was so f afraid of being unaccepted of not fitting in to where like I was doing stuff that was just not okay. I was doing, you know, I started smoking cigarettes. Uh, I started drinking with the, uh, friends um, at, at 13, 12, 13 years old, you know. So that's really where it got started for me. Um, during football season and stuff like that though, in lacrosse season, I, I, I didn't do any of those things. I took my sports very seriously. Um, I was a very smart kid. I just never did my homework. Um, so I definitely, and homework was a big part of your grades, you know, so my grades were always okay because I would get hundreds on the test and stuff like that. Um, but I took my sports very seriously and I would have went some, somewhere really far. I ended up breaking my growth plan, my knee, my shin bone, and my femur all at the same time when I was 14 years old during football practice. Um, and that's when I got introduced to Oxycontin. Uh, they took me to the hospital, gave me morphine. Usually I would knock a kid right out, you know, I'm wide awake, saying let's let's party, you know, this is awesome, you know. And right there you should have just known that like this isn't gonna be good. So and back then parents weren't really educated on addiction. Um the opiate crisis wasn't really going on yet. So yeah, so they gave me the they gave me Oxycontin. Remember, I'm 14 years old. Giving Oxycontin to a 14-year-old just doesn't sound right in my head. Um, but it was great then, man. I fell in love. It made me invincible. I didn't care what people thought of me because um, I just felt too good. You know, it actually let me just be myself, um, which I didn't even know who that was yet. But when I see that in my older years, like, yeah, it let me be myself. Um, I wasn't afraid of anything. It helped me lose weight, so I wasn't so insecure about myself. Um, I just felt like I could do anything. I, I had energy. It made me feel normal. Let's put it that way. So that lasted for a little while. I was in a full leg cast in a wheelchair for almost a year and a half, almost up to I was 16 years old. Um, and then I realized, you know, like the feeling started going away and i was just taking what i was prescribed you know so started to get a little courage and i started taking more than what i was prescribed you know why take one get rid of a little bit of the pain or feel a little better when i could take two or three and get rid of all the pain and feel a lot better so that progressed slow um slow at first but then it just it took off until my mom started noticing because you know, we kept the, the pain pill bottle on my, my nightstand, you know, not and she didn't have it in her hand. She didn't know about, like, of course she had an understanding of, like, abusing drugs and things like that, but, like, not, like, to the extent of becoming an addict. Um, so she started noticing that. Then she started hiding the pain, the pain pill bottle, and I would find it. No matter what, I would find it. I made it my mission, and I would find it. I would make it my mission to, to find it. Um, and then it got so bad to where she started, she told where I started stealing, you know, um, 
and things like that. Like if I was running low or I wanted to buy some so she wouldn't notice that I was missing some from my script. Um, and then she finally told my doctor and my doctor took me, took me off them. You got to remember, like I always had them, so I never went without them. Um, I noticed the behavioral change in a way. Uh, I was getting angry, angry fast. I was lying. I was manipulating things like that, but I didn't know what addiction was, you know, like I didn't hear anything about that shit in health class. Uh, whatever. I didn't know what addiction was and I definitely didn't know what withdrawals were. So they took me off them and I think, okay, I'm just not going to have them. That's fine. You know, I'm out of my leg cast now. I don't, I don't even need them anymore. And not even the, what, 30 hours later, uh, I'm dripping in sweat. When I go through withdrawals, I have extreme back pain and my leg that I just broke a year and a half ago that I just healed from was in excruciating pain. So I had the nervous legs, the the tingliness, whatever, sweats. And I'm 14 years old and I don't know what's going on. So, and I'm just thinking to myself, well, it's gotta be because I don't have my medications. So that's when I started getting into selling um, whatever I could sell, whether it was weed. Um, I started doing really bad in school because I was so focused on doing this. Um, I mentioned to my mom numerous times that I don't feel good, but I, I was always so scared to tell her like what I thought, you know, when it really wasn't, it was, it really wasn't my fault. I don't blame myself for that. I don't blame my mother. I don't blame anyone else. Um, besides the fact that yeah, I, I was just really young to have something like that. So, uh, 16th birthday, I got put on probation. Um, my mom put me on probation, um, and oh, not my probation officer says I don't give you a week before you're in jail, and shit me not. Literally a week later, I ended up selling uh, a bunch of uh, Klonopin to a 15-year-old in my school. I'm 16 at the time. Um, a 15-year-old, one of my friends, and he ends up taking them all in school and overdosing with respiratory issues. Um, and that really scared me. Uh, I thought I was going to jail for the rest of my life. When I heard the word overdose, I'm like, he's dead. You know, like, I'm, I, again, I don't know anything about that stuff. So I ended up taking a bunch of the clonopins and waking up in jail uh, two days later, um, not knowing anything, not remembering that I might've killed someone um, where I've been the last two days. Um, so long story short, like I took these pills, I guess I went to a friend's house. My mother and father were in a bowling league every Monday and Tuesday night. I guess I came to the bowling alley with my pants half undone. Like I went and took a piss somewhere and forgot to pull my pants up. Uh, my sister was up from Florida. I haven't seen her in almost five years. I guess I walked right past her, went to the bar, and just passed out. Um, my mother got me home before my dad saw me. Um, I get home. I guess I pass out. I wake up the next morning still completely messed up because of the amount that I took. So I still have no recollection of what's going on. Um, they're getting me ready to go to school. And I guess I call my mother... Uh, names that you should never call your mother. And my dad was going to beat the living shit out of me. He probably should have. 
um, cause I love my mother to death and I would never disrespect her that way. So, uh, yeah, so they, I'm getting ready to get on the bus, I guess. And of course I forget, or I remember that I didn't have my pills on me and I went back inside and got them. Um, my mom's watching me the whole time. She's letting me set myself up. She knows the principal already called her. They want me to go to school. So I miss the bus. So my mom ends up bringing me to school. I go inside and they, I get to the, I'm walking past the office and there is uh, the school officer and the principal waiting for me. And that was it, man. They put me in cuffs, brought me to jail. And I woke up, um, yeah, 24 hours later, not knowing literally what day it is. I woke up and I was like, where am I? They're like, you're in our, the county jail. I'm like, what time is it? They're like 12 o'clock. I'm like, I've been asleep for 12 hours. Like you've been asleep for two days. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that shows you how crazy it is. Um, so I stayed in jail for about five, six months. I ended up going to rehab. Um, a really nice rehab out where I live. It was uh, called the Cradle Farm. And I spent about eight months there. It was literally a farm. We took care of sheep and pigs, but it was like a, it was, it's the nicest farm in New York State. You know, it's, it showed you, it showed you, that place showed me how to be respectable, how to earn everything in life, and how to be responsible, and how to take care of things that just, you know, like, it just showed me a lot of uh, really good life skills. And even though I didn't so stay clean and sober after that, you know, I don't know where I would be right now if I never went to that place. It gave me a lot of the morals in life that I, I needed as an adolescent at that time. So, I went to, I ended up leaving, going to jail again. I stayed clean for about a year and a half. Um, my father was uh, killed by a drunk driver, my neighbor on my road. Um, I took that very hard, ended up relapsing on heroin. And uh, from then on out, it was, uh, it was out of control. I had no control over my life anymore. Um, my addiction did. So I wasn't living as Scotty anymore. I was living as um, a heroin addict at that point in time. So, and I felt really bad about the things that I did um, being under the influence um, and being an addict. Uh, because I was a really shitty person. I would steal from anybody I could during my adolescent years. Um, I would steal from anybody I could. I would do anything I could to get my fix. I would hurt my family. Um, and I was such the biggest liar. But I got I get caught for everything, man. I've always got caught for everything. Um, I thought I was the sneakiest person around. Like I could lie right through my teeth and you would not know that I'm lying. You know, I thought, I truly believed that. And I was by far the unsneakiest person you've ever met. Um, I could not lie worth anything. And I see that now. So, um, yeah, so after my dad died, I got really bad into the heroin, so on and so forth. Um, I started cashing fraud checks. Now, I ended up getting 32 C felonies uh, for forgeries of, of false instrument. I cashed over $80,000 in fraud checks, if more, if not more. Um, so for every check that I cashed, that was uh, that was a C felony. Um, I ended up going to shock. Uh, yeah, I ended up going to uh, shock, and I spent seven months there, which it's like it's a prison boot camp. Um, I lost 
over 100 pounds there. And again, weight has always been an issue for me. Either I was in sports or I wasn't. So when I was in sports, I was skinny. When I wasn't, I was fat. When I was using, I was skinny. When I was not, when I was clean and sober, I was fat. So I, eating has always been my null and void between uh, getting clean and sober uh, and active addiction. So um, I lost all my weight there. I felt great after I got home. I completed parole. I did everything I needed to. Um, and I ended up relapsing probably two years down the road. Um, it, it was just constant, in and out of treatment centers, in and out of institutions, it didn't matter. And my biggest issue was I always came home. And I always blamed that. Coming home was always my issue. And I don't know what it was, but I always desired to come home. I wanted to come back to Watertown because I loved it here, I thought. And no, it's just because I knew that no matter what, if I couldn't stay clean, my I could. It was just that easier for me to to go out and get high and use. But there was always that part of me that wanted to be clean. I didn't want to be a heroin addict, you know. So, um, to wrap it up uh, for my addiction, um, I was 25 years old. Uh, I started selling heroin again. And I remember telling everyone I sold heroin to that I hate doing this. I absolutely hate doing this. You know, I've had all my closest friends in active addiction, all of them. I can't, I can't tell you a name that I, that I called a friend in my active addiction. I can't tell you a name that's still alive. Um, and that hurts. Because these were, you know, people say like, you know, you don't have friends in active addiction. It's just an addiction friendship. No, um, these were my, these were my friends. You know, we got clean together. We got sober together. We used together, you know, but we, uh, we, we just had those, those, those ties, you know. So I, again, I remember specifically just telling people I hate selling heroin, but I, I had almost a six to seven gram a day habit. You know, and that, that was the peak for me. Um, I remember that I wasn't even getting high anymore. I was just getting unsick. Um, I would literally overdose without feeling high, if that makes sense to you. Like I would just, it was unreal. Um, so that lasted again for about a year and I knew I was gonna get caught, go to jail or die. So, and I was waiting and I didn't care if I died at all. I wanted to die. I didn't want to go to jail. I didn't want to go to, because I knew I wouldn't die. Um, I didn't have anything left in life. Uh, I lost, again, all my friends. Uh, my mother wouldn't answer me anymore, you know, so, which saved my life in many ways. For families out there, do not enable your children that are in active addiction. Love and support them from a distance. Keep tabs on them, but don't support their addiction. Um, I ended up getting arrested with uh, 30 grams of fentanyl heroin and $15,000 in cash, uh, something like that. Um, I got stopped by a drug task force on uh, my way home from picking up from a bigger city near us, and I went to jail. And let me tell you, when I said I wanted to die then, when I was in jail, I wanted to die. Coming off a seven gram a day heroin habit, it was it was going to be the death of me. I was having seizures. 
Uh, it wasn't gonna kill me. The seizures could have, but um, I was so dehydrated that like I, I sounded like S SpongeBob saying when he needed water, you know. So, but uh, it took me uh, it took me almost 20 days to get any uh, any sleep. You know, I would go like 10 10 minutes. It felt like none at all like 10 minutes without uh, of getting some sleep, but it took me about 20 days, 20 to 25 days to get uh, at least four hours of decent sleep. Um, and it took me about a week or two to even eat anything. And then I sat in jail for a good two, three months. Um, I've been to shock, I've been to all the rehabs, I've had all the chances. They all know me by name in there. The judge knows me by name. And let me tell you, man, I, I, I thought I was gonna be doing some pretty, uh, a pretty decent amount of time in prison. So I've never been on drug court before. I didn't think I would even get accepted or offered drug court. And they did, they said I could get drug court. And I was honestly gonna deny it. I was gonna do my prison time because I didn't think I could stay clean or sober. I did not think I could complete drug court. After all the stories I've heard about it, I did not think I could complete drug court. And let me tell you, I took it. I went to Horizon Village in Buffalo and it saved my life, man. It saved my life. Um, drug court saved my life. That program saved my life. But while being down there, for the first time in my life, I learned how to love myself. Um, I learned how to, I learned who I truly was as a person and what I wanted to do in life. And even though I still don't know what my goal or what I need to do in life is, I learned how to try new things. I learned how to put some effort into something um, without giving up on it right away, you know? So my, my world used to go by so fast and it's finally slowed down to where I realized that I have all the time in the world. And even though I don't wanna waste time, um, that's why I'm doing whatever I can during my day to be a proactive member of society. Um, but again, yeah, it, it slowed my world down. I slow my world down. I learned how to um, be take care of myself, to to get healthy, um, to just have fun, being who I am, you know. Um, so yeah, uh, life today is great. Life today is amazing for me. Um, I I have a beautiful wife. Um, we have a beautiful son together, six months old boy um his name is scotty jr named after his papa and my and my father and uh life is great today man um we're in the midst of a pandemic and we are making the most of it um we do so much throughout our day uh we have a recovery uh we have a recovery channel on youtube called choosing recovery um, where we interview recovering addict and alcoholics like this. Um, and then we let them share just some experience, strength, and hope at the end. We also have a family series where we interview uh, families of, family members of recovering addict and alcoholics or people that are still in active addiction. Um, just so we can help family members get educated on addiction itself because it is huge. It's huge. We can't, it's, I, I think a lot of us forget how much we really affected our families. Um, because the family members become just as addicted to the addict as the addict gets addicted to the drug. And 
it, it mentally, physically hurts them. So if we can be able to help even family members uh, to help themselves or ways to even cope to talk with their loved ones, um, I think it's going to make a huge difference. So, and we also do a mental health series where we tie in mental health with addiction, such as PTSD and addiction, bipolar disorder and addiction, uh, etc. And we feel that it's important because we got to remember once we put the drugs and alcohol down or whatever your addiction is, um, we're still left with ourselves. And especially if you have a mental health disorder with that, that is a very dangerous thing if you don't maintain um, self-care on that because it can also lead you right back into addiction quite fast. Um, so that's we're doing whatever we can to uh, get the word out there that we're not, we're, this helps us, you know. It's, it's not, I don't consider it just a selfish program, but this helps us. This helps me stay clean and sober today. And I'm pretty sure it helps my wife stay clean and sober today. And uh, by helping ourselves, because I'm able to love myself and care about myself today, I'm allowed to, I, I'm able to help and care about everyone else around me. So um, we feel it's important that we get the word out there. And I support anybody else out there that does that's doing things like we're doing. Because giving back is probably the biggest part of my recovery. Um, after all that I've taken in my life, even to give back in the slightest, it's just, it's such a blessing. So I'm just super proud of where I've come today uh, and my family's come today. I am super grateful to be able to be on this channel. Um, with you guys, Cameron, Willie, I, I, it's a, it's truly a blessing. Um, and again, just reach out if you're if you're having a hard time, you need help, uh, and you're struggling. It's it's okay. You're not alone. There's a lot of people out there that are going through what you're going through, or that have been through what you've been through. And us recovering addicts and alcoholics, you know, we all have the same message. It's a different story. Um, so again, come check us out, Choosing Recovery on YouTube, and also check us out on TikTok also. Uh, and we also have a, a website, uh, choosing-recovery.com. Um, if you ever need anything, our emails in the is uh, on our channel. Um, don't be afraid to send us your email if you want to be interviewed. You know, don't be afraid to email us. Uh, Again, thanks, Cam and Willie. Sorry if I sounded super nervous. I had a blast, though. It's always a blessing for me to tell my story because it reminds me again from where I was at and where I don't ever want to be again. You know, that's why it's important for people to tell their story because not only will it help you, it'll help so many people around you. So I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thanks for watching the video. And again, thanks, Cam and Willie, for allowing me to be on your channel. Ah, nah, dude. You didn't sound nervous, like, sound like a boss. I thought, like, I thought you did great. Willie really would know what a boss yeah. sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow, thank you, dude. Thank you so much for, for putting yourself out there for our show. Hell yeah, Scott. I know this isn't the only place that you get transparent like that. Uh, do it on your show, and, and I appreciate that, but yeah. Super great. Cameron. Super awesome, man. I mean. I met both those guys. They're, they're super cool yeah. peeps. Yeah. Know? And Scott's story was great, man. I related with a lot of it. Like, I, 
I, I remember um, he talked about, you know, the naivety that he had when he was 14 and addicted. Yeah. He didn't know that he was like going through withdrawals, right? When he, right. When he stopped taking them. And I, you know, I had a similar experience too with opiates where I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, what exactly I was doing to myself. And, and when I would stop, I didn't realize that I was, you know, withdrawing. So I, I can identify with that particular part of his yeah. story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and just everything, the progression of his life, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and you know, the, the overdose on the Klonopin and, and his parents, his mom in particular, like, you know, him showing up to the bowling alley, just walking past people yeah. after that other kid OD'd. And, and who knows, like, that's the thing is we don't know what kind of damage we've inflicted on other people. But then him coming out of it in jail being like, what the fuck, you know, not mm-hmm. remembering you know, how bad it could have been, but, but kind of skating past the ultimate punishment for all these behaviors the whole time, you know, and, and not getting away with anything. I can identify with that. Yeah. I liked how he said that. He's like, I get caught for everything. (laughs) I'm a horrible criminal. That's why I was in jail all the time. Mm -hmm. Just a bad criminal. And then once, I mean, once you get good at being a bad criminal, (laughs) you never get, you never get good at it. Yeah. It's just always, always bad. Well, it's probably good that he wasn't good at it. Yeah, he probably you know? wouldn't be here. You yeah, know, if it wasn't for for all the the stops and starts, and and that's another thing that I can relate with is, you know, in jail for three months here, four months there, five months there, treatment, you know, stopping and going, stopping right. and going, and then ultimately finding the one thing that you really hate doing, which is destroying other people's lives with drugs and alcohol or with you know in his case you know it was heroin like you said you know i'm selling heroin and i hate it yeah you know but it came after the death of his father mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was obviously traumatic yeah i really and, messed and very, him up very painful and as i can imagine it would be mm-hmm. you know it's something that big happening so quickly and so close to home so well and it's funny to think too sometimes just of the irony because his father was killed by a drunk driver yeah you know, like, so, so somebody that, uh, that is one of us essentially, you yeah. know, and I, I, Lord knows I should have killed a thousand people. Yeah. I don't know about that. I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad I, it, it could not have turned out any better for any of us, That's right. Scott included, you know, and I, I appreciate, you know, everything that he's putting out there into the world, you know, with, with his show and his and his and his wife's show. Uh, choosing recovery, you know, you can look him up on YouTube. He gave he gave all of his plugs. You know, TikTok. There, there's a bunch of videos on TikTok, mm-hmm. and so yeah, good, great shit. I could really identify with all that. You know, like I said, I I, I identified with him probably a little bit more than ninety percent on on a larger scale. Like I identify with everybody, but his story really matched the way that I felt. Yeah, growing up. So. And him, like you, is just a hell of a dude. Like you, can, you can just see that <laughs> in, in sure. his nature, man. He's yeah. just a hella cool guy and and just one of those people that would, you know, do almost anything he could for somebody. Yeah. And, and maybe that's why you identify with him. Maybe. You're also a so. hella cool dude. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, Scott, again, thank you very much for putting your story out there. I think a lot of people are going to get something out of it. And, you know, giving us that topic, giving us the topic of self-love, which I think is something that was definitely worth exploring. And it's something that's worth exploring uh, continually for all of us. Yeah, you know, we're so. working on. Yeah. For sure. Like it's, it's something that I'll never be done with. I'll never fully right. grasp it. You know? Right. And, uh, and, yeah, thanks, Scott, again. Um, pleasure um and i can't wait to talk to you guys again yeah for sure so yeah great show 
It was a really good show. Yeah. Good to be back. Good to be in the studio. Good to be talking about this stuff. It's such a, it's a, this is a cornerstone of my recovery now, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and I, I don't, I, I dare say I wouldn't have the life I have without this. You know, I wouldn't have the introspection, the willingness to change, the willingness to grow, the willingness to continue in self-love and, and work on myself and work on my family and project and put all this stuff out there for people to listen to and talk about and identify with. And so thanks, Cameron. I mean, you want to tell people where to find our stuff? Yeah, you're you know so, where to look, guys. You're so good at it. No, I mean, you, you can check us out on Instagram at uh, at the other side of hell 101. We're on Twitter as well at uh, T-O-S-O Hell Podcast. And, uh, and yeah, we would love to, to see you there. Um, and, yeah, there's lots of Get great some resources. Of this, some of this fly merch on our yeah, website. It's on the website at the other side of hell podcast.com, guys. Check it out. Yep. And check out Scott and Olivia's show. Check out all the things. Stay connected. Stay involved. Go to our webpage for resources and all the things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, intern. You guys don't see him back there, but we got somebody helping us out. Intern. That's yeah. his name. <laughs> so, yeah, with that, let's do it. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you on the other side. And remember, you are worth the work. Thanks, guys. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.